it is another level of intimacy that you're allowing people to come into your almost like a part of your brain, a part of your conscience that you don't share on a mic at Blake's, right? Yeah. You're not going to share some of the things that you might share on that mic um, mm-hmm. that you will on the Never. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's unpack my trauma tonight. Make some fucking noise. <laughs> Welcome to The Gaily Dose, the weekly podcast made for and by gay men and their allies. We're a podcast with a mission, elevated conversation with the hopes of building a deeper sense of community in the gay world. Shall it's time to come take your Gaily Dose. Welcome to The Gaily Dose. This is Helmut Lucero-Domogolsky. So excited today to bring you a dose of Brigitte today. Hey, Brigitte. How are you? Hi, I'm so good. How are you? I'm I'm so good. I'm super excited today because I am low-key a big fan. I love your work. I love watching you. And I don't go out as much as I used to, but um, I love following you on social Thank media. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me. I yes. And you're a fellow podcaster here in Atlanta. I am. I am orally expressing myself on the pod <laughs> oh oral expression we're all fans of oral expression totally yeah although some people may want to put muffles on us i don't know <laughs> i mean if you're into that <laughs> muzzle us i guess so get muzzled up but yes i have a podcast called good judy which i co-host with ellasaurus rex new episodes every tuesday and friday yes <laughs> Uh, I have tuned into a few of those episodes. You guys are fun. A lot of good banter, lots of wit. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've known each other forever. Um, She's basically one of the first people I started doing drag with. So we have a true history together and friendship. And then we get to meet a ton of amazing freaking people that our producer, John Dean, he sets up all the interviews and I've met people that I would have never gotten to have a conversation with otherwise. Awesome. So he does all the sleuthing for you, all the guest finding. Yeah, he writes emails. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm jealous. I think that's one. Actually, that's one of the funner things I enjoy um, with the Mm -hmm. podcast, finding guests and really exploring the community. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really fun. It's nice that you have him sort of as a as a way to connect to some people. It's great. Totally. Yeah, he started Wussy. Well, him and several people started Wussy Mag. Um, and then was he also hosts um, a bunch of parties that we all perform at. So it's all connected. You know, this yeah. business is just about maintaining relationships with people. <laughs> yeah, but it's a great I mean, I love the Wussy brand and I've attended several of their their functions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. It's a great, great energy and part of the city. And our yeah, it's brought a lot to the city. And yeah. I've had a huge part in that. So <laughs> So low-key, thank you. You're all welcome. (laughs) Right. Um, So uh, Brigitte is also known as Josh um, um, Mm. when she's he. Um, And Josh, I'd like you to share a little bit with our dolls that are listening um, uh, really about your coming out story and how you came to be, you know, wonderfully gay and then how you came to be Brigitte. I grew up in Mableton, Georgia, which is a suburb. It's like where Six Flags is. I guess that's our claim to fame. Um, But 
it wasn't a lot of gay people at all, if any. So I didn't have any like gay friends or anything. Well, later in life, I realized my best friend all growing up, she came out as a lesbian, but she wasn't out. So it's not like we had that to like to give to each other. Um, but my like biggest role models in my life is my mom's brother, my uncle Paul and his husband, Stephen. They're my gay uncles. And um, I think if it wasn't for his influence in my life, I wouldn't have been comfortable enough to come out. But around, you know, I realized it for a long time. But then around high school, I was kind of owning it. And I started like smoking weed and doing drugs and then <laughs> had like a paradigm shift and it was like, fuck everybody. Um, and I came out, uh, I actually wanted to wait until my, my sister's two years older than me and I wanted to wait till like she graduated or something and then I could like be out and gay because she wouldn't have to worry about like her little faggot brother at school. <laughs> you know, something like that. It's again, it's so weird in the, like the gay world or like how you I thought was, about it, how you thought yeah, about it. How I had to think about how my truth would affect other people, which now I'm 33 now. This is now I'm talking like 14, 15, 16. Yeah, it's like now I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the straight agenda or any like haters, I guess is the term. But yeah, so I decided to come out. Um, I started like experimenting with other guys and kind of like got it in like like age 20 she was like <laughs> fully yeah fully experienced but no I was like um a lot of people are very experimental at that age anyway so people were all figuring out their sexuality and back then it was just like straight and gay so you know there's so many variations um that nowadays I don't think kids even have the same experience coming out at all. Um, they don't, they don't. I think it's generationally different. So, I'm curious when you say the straight agenda, what do you mean when you say that? I'm just curious. Just the world that we live in. I mean, people are so concerned about the gay agenda, quote unquote, but it's like we are institutionalized from the day we're born. If you're a boy, they'll hold you out in front of them. Like you're so big and strong. If you're a girl, they'll hold you closer. Like I'm talking babies, literally like just the gender and the agenda is there. You ask a five-year-old boy, like, do you have a girlfriend at school? <laughs> you know what I mean? But now um, drag queen story hour is somehow like turning kids gay. Um, so I, yeah, I, when I say the straight agenda, I literally mean like the whole fucking world that we live in. Yeah, the natural bias towards the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of them are going to be straight. So we're going to bias towards that and kind of the, mm. the awkward lack of recognition for the fact that there's a good portion of people that are in the rainbow category. Oh, totally. And they all wish that they could be like who they really are, but they try so hard. I mean, I do believe straight people exist, duh, because how did I get here? <laughs> and I love that you know, there's a whole world, uh, the whole sh beautiful straight world with families and all that shit. And it's great, but yeah. that's not me. And I don't want to live in that world and I don't have to. Yeah, Let you don't, go. you don't. I'm really grateful for straight people who are, are so supportive of the rainbow. Right. And who actually mm -hmm. 
who are woke enough to treat their families and their their neighbors like we would, which is very yeah. few, very few, right? But they there stand are, out. There are true allies for sure. Um, otherwise, we'd all be like executed by now. <laughs> <laughs> this is not far from the truth. Uh, <sighs> What so you had two gay uncles like that's unique mm-hmm. in and of itself. So you already had a pattern for like you had a pathway like you can go this route. Mm-hmm. Were they were they successful? They were like in your mind mm-hmm. they were like successful. Oh, there is yeah. I mean they're still alive. I talk to them like all the time. They live in Chicago, but um, yeah, successful and in and, and like I knew Uncle Paul and Uncle Steve like as a unit since forever. Like I don't remember a time without them together and they're so funny like he they are the reason I'm funny because they are so funny yeah they made me funny because I wanted to be like just like them and it's not but um yeah I I really even when I called him to tell him he knew I was like I want to tell you something he's like yeah (laughs) yeah like fucking finally (laughs) Jesus She's like, honey, you had a person since you were three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was so gay, like, my whole life. I would literally, like, perform Spice Girls for, like, my family in the living room and shit like that. Like, didn't think it was weird at all. And, like, my family's so accepting um, that it just, it wasn't until, like, other people made me feel ashamed about it that I was, like, oh, closeted and all that, you know? Yeah, I had to, yeah. like tone it down for Mableton, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense in Mableton. And then it sounds like drugs were a catalyst for you to express yourself ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about how Brigitte Bidet comes about. What what drove you to drag? What drew you to it? What did you like about it? Um, I went to college in Chicago, actually, partly to be closer to my uncle's. Um, And I studied dance, which was so amazing. And um, Drag Race, yeah, had come out. And I was like, this is so cool. Actually, the first time I ever saw it, I was like, these people are crazy. Like, I thought that was just my own, like, internalized transphobia that I hadn't addressed yet. Um, But it's shocking to me that something I thought was so strange and even grotesque in a way is now like my life (laughs) (laughs) so your initial you had initial phobia against it like you were it's almost like how yeah it's almost like how homophobic people are gay it was very that I was like this secret fucking flaming drag queen and I was just like maybe jealous that they were getting to do it and I have no idea but I had this reaction like literally um thinking wow these people are, like insane um and then i saw like tammy brown out of drag on the show and was like he's so handsome how is he he actually looked like the guy that i was in love with in college and so i like equated that also so that's very nuanced and layered and now like tammy brown is one of my friends which is so funny I, I um I actually relate to that if I'm really honest about it. The think the very first times I really sat and watched drag performances, I was a little bit like a little jealous on one hand mm-hmm. and a little bit like, oh, like why would you do that? Why would you, you know, kind of had negative thoughts about it that were just reflections of my own lack of comfort, right? Mm-hmm. And my own lack of comfort with the art and with uh, I guess as you described it as transphobia, which I can see too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I love it so much. I want to go tonight. I used to go to the drag show all the time at um, Jungle, like all the mm-hmm. time. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a vibe. And there, um, I mean, the scene ebbs and flows, but there have been some really amazing like moments in the Atlanta scene and Jungle was such a moment. Like people would go and watch shows and dance and it was like a club. Like, I don't really feel that lately. Atlanta, yeah, I think sucks. I think we're trying that a little bit. Future tends doing some of that as well. Um, mm-hmm. What is your so? Let's talk about though. How did you become Brigitte? Like, oh when yeah. You decide, let me put on some some pearls and a and a. Purse um, literally. Um, yeah, I moved back after college because I was like broke and cold. <laughs> Chicago yeah. is so cold. I lived there seven years. It's so cold. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Fucking frigid and. Like all my dance teachers knew my weaknesses and they ran the whole scene. Um, and I just didn't see myself getting any work. I was basically just like lost a hundred percent and even like spent all my little like savings bonds I had since I was little, like blew that on rent thinking I would find a job literally like filled out applications to be a fucking dishwasher and couldn't get work anywhere. And was just like, Cause in college I lived off of my loans. I didn't have like any fucking college job. And, and then it made me unhirable or something. I don't know. I was just like, fuck everything and move back into my parents after college and, um, you know, watching drag race, but also thinking I was going to be like a radical queer performance artist. Cause that was like the scene I rolled with in Chicago. I worked with this amazing performance artist and he changed my whole fucking world like it was his name his his name name? is uh guillermo gomez pena and he was actually the first mexican-american to win like a macarthur fellowship genius grant oh wow um and just the work that he made just i did this workshop with like 20 other artists in the whole city of chicago and there was like every kind of gender identity that was there was like a 60 year old drag queen that was in the groups and so like on the final day when we had like a huge show i saw him in full drag and i was just like shocked that this fucking like truck driver is now like diana ross and so yeah that like another paradigm shift like that was totally a moment where like the whole world opened up and, and then i had the arrogance of college being like i know everything about art everything i make is fucking brilliant like just that delusion that every artist has especially art school kids um so i just was like i'm gonna be a bigger fish in a smaller pond and come to atlanta and just like blow everybody's mind well i didn't realize like how hard drag was but i did like my friend uh, my best friend who i grew up with had started this like art collective in Atlanta and then, which I gave her the idea for, but anyways, um, they would. <laughs> You're, have so shows. You're so humble. You're so lucky. You've changed so much. <laughs> they, yeah, really. No, that they would put on like these events where like multidisciplinary events where artists are like showing work, performing, musicians, vendors, uh, where it's like Atlanta was just becoming like really fucking cool. This was like 2010, 2011. There was so much unused spaces. There was such an amazing art scene that was so fucking inspiring and like so queer. Like even the straight guys were like kind of gay and it was just like 
haughty. It was just, I never experienced any of it in Chicago. It's like, it's warm. We all have cars. There's parking everywhere. We drink like $2 fucking iced coffees and shit. So this scene, I like jump right in and, and did some performance art things, which were really cool, but um, quickly realized that like, but there's just not money or enough excitement in performance art period. And it's pretentious as fuck and no one gives a shit. So then I was like, oh my God, drag is so cool. Drag. I'm going to do drag. I saw Edie Cheeseburger perform at the Armorettes and I like begged her to be my drag mom. And she was like, no. And <laughs> oh my God, really? Yeah. I but I, I mean, now I would do the same fucking thing if some faggot came up to me and was like, teach, I'd be like, no. Yeah. Like it makes a hundred percent sense. But, you know, if you're determined enough to do something, you'll do it. And then I was waiting tables at Homegrown um, on, off Memorial. And uh, Violet came in with her friend. And I had just like kind of, I met them at Mary's before. And she was in this competition called like Dragnique or something. Yeah. Dragnificent, Dragnique. And um, I was like, well, I'm a choreographer. So I'll choreograph your drag performances if you teach me like, how to put on a wig or something and she's like okay so she's like my sister slash drag mentor like she's the first person who ever put me in drag and then we did an event where dax exclamation point was there and we kind of like asked her to be our mom because we all had this kind of like party girl vibe and we're hot and like had potential like i looked like absolute shit but <laughs> Yeah, so we did that and Violet told me to do the new faces contest at Friends on Ponds. Like if you win that, you get a booking the next month and you get like 50 bucks or some shit. And so I did that. I made my little mix and then we get to Friends and Violet's like, oh, yeah, I can't help you with your makeup. And I like had no idea how to do it. My friend's there and she's just like putting bronzer on me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and pinning on my little fucking plastic Barbie wig. But since I had all these friends from the art scene, like I won the competition and got to come back the next month. And that just like basically started everything. Then we, you know, I linked up with Ella, Ella Source Rex, um, cause she was dancing in the dance company that I got a job with a year. I left that part out too. I got a job with this dance company like a year after I moved here. But anyway, so we all started throwing parties and it just, one thing led to another from there. Literally. It's like so crazy. <laughs> so, so it evolved. Like you basically put your toe in and then you slowly continue to explore mm -hmm. yourself and that performance bent to eventually and then tell me how you pick Brigitte the day the name and your vibe because you do have that sort of like a little bit of a throwback right in mm -hmm. in, your, in your style and, and you totally remind me of a, a French girl that I'd paint maybe yes <laughs> paint me <laughs> I've had some people paint me and the results were shocking but <laughs> that's another story um yeah, I wanted something like bougie sounding. I thought maybe like Alexis was also a cool name. Alexis something, I didn't know. Um, and the first song I ever performed, um, the, the mix had a Brigitte Bardot song in it, which was really cute. And I was like, oh my God, Brigitte Bidet, like you just changed 
the little the la- I was like, surely someone's named Brigitte Bidet because like that would be so funny and it's so clever. And then like there wasn't actually someone told me that like back in the 90s in Atlanta, there was a queen named Brigitte Bidet, which I'm like, I need to research that because maybe I'm the reincarnation. <laughs> maybe you are, but maybe but, um, but yeah, so I but honestly, I shot myself in the foot because Bridget Bridget, Brid- I mean, it's pronounced, it's been pronounced every way, but the right way, basically, since I started Bridget bit it. That's the one I get. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's French, right? And we were, we're, we're so good at fucking up the French. Bridget, someone said, um, the Bridget. first time I ever met Monica Van Pelt, it was really loud, like in the club. And I was like, I'm Brigitte. And she was like, Brigitte. I was like, why the <laughs> fuck would I name myself Rajik? Like, what even is that? So, yeah, it's Brigitte Bidet. <laughs> Brigitte, what the fuck is that? I'm oh like, okay. So. so, so then it evolved and you became, you became Brigitte Bidet. And yeah. You enjoy performing, clearly. Totally. Um, well, I came into it as a performer and that's why I was like, I'm going to be the best because I already know how to perform. It's like. The shit I was seeing, well, I have such a different respect for drag now, honestly. I can watch a bitch just, like, come out and stand there. And I'd be like, yes. Um, but is that more, is, when you say that, is that more because you're, she's just family and she's doing her best and you're like... And I know what it takes to get up in the gig. Like, it's a lot of fucking work. And so... I respect it so much more because like a lot of the people that criticize it, like could never like, okay, give it a go, honey. You know? And I love it when like a bitchy gay guy, like puts himself in drag either for Halloween or for a newcomers contest. And they just, it, they get it after that. They just tip more at the shows after that. Cause they just have a whole new respect for it. Cause it is a lot of work. And that's like something I had to learn in the beginning. Like, I was so confident and all that, but I looked like shit. And, I and looked like D. Snyder from the eighties hair metal. <laughs> so you have the look and the work. So, okay. So I'm going to extrapolate a little bit. Number one, it sounds like a lot of work to get the right look. So just mm-hmm. getting your makeup in and the hair, right. And the, the look, the literal look mm-hmm. together composed. Where else is all the work that you would say people don't appreciate on the outside? Um, I mean, yes, the look, um, the creativity, the the costumes, organizing it in your fucking house, um, maintaining like all of like a whole different identity basically and nurturing that. Like, it's just, yeah, it's so much work to just get out there and I love that like how glamorous drag is and how like disgusting the dressing room is because it's like (laughs) the perfect um you know imagery for the craft because it's all like such an illusion hanging on by a fucking thread that could fall apart (laughs) that will fall apart and it's like it's ephemeral it's it's you can take videos of me all day but it's like it's experienced in real life you know it's three-dimensional it's a robot can't fucking do it yet luckily (laughs) um yeah it's just this really amazing art form that until you know the last several years was only passed down 
through other people who did it. Like there was no, nobody, I love Tasia Thomas says all the time, like none of us went to school and got a degree for this. Is that who said that? I don't even remember now, <laughs> but she makes that statement a lot. It's like, we didn't go to school for this. So we do this cause we want to do it. Like we are keeping this shit alive. And that feels so like iconic to me. Yeah. And it feels like it also gives you a sense of good purpose and meaning in a good mm-hmm. way in the best way that our work should do. Mm-hmm. By the way, I will notice that you have like in the, in the video, you have like a little crown on your head. I don't know if you noticed that. I know. Your chandelier is like a little princess crown. It's so cute. I love it. I'm, sh- I'm sure you do. <laughs> I bought myself that chandelier with fucking rolled up tip money. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what, no, I bad. know. But you love that when you work really hard for something and you buy it and it just means so much more. Mm-hmm. Dolls, we are so excited to announce the Gaily Dose Diva honoree. Patty Ellis is a wife, mother, and realtor, yet her influence and investment in the families across the South and beyond are momentous, and the lives of all that she and Jeff touched will forever be changed. A fierce servant to her community, after you listen to her story in a dose of Proud Mama, reach out to Patty and share in giving her our praise. Happy Pride and congratulations, Patty. We need more divas like you. Um, so, so you've got the work of the costuming, you get the work of the, the look, and then this, like you said, kind of on a thread performance, right? Where you, it really could go very differently and you, you kind of bring it up from the ashes of whatever that, that, that place is or just the day, right? And you pull together mm-hmm. who is Brigitte Bidet and then you get out there and perform. Um, is it the crowd? Is it that feeling in front of the group that you love the most? Uh, you definitely love that. I love performing. Um, and now I just do it so much that it's kind of like, um, a job in a way. I don't know. Like I just do it because it's like, that's what I do now versus like when I first started and it was like every performance I had to think about so hard and this and that. Um, and now it's like, um do I do the Britney Spears or the Robin tonight you know what I mean but now I it channels I have such different intentions with it now like I can just go out and do a Britney Spears song because like I have an intention of like getting the room energized making people smile doing some little tricks like just acting a fool and having fun um so you don't have to like have this fucking like deeply meaningful mix that you spent hours and hours on with fucking sound bites and this you know which also those are incredible and amazing and I love it but it's like yeah so yeah the crowd is what is why we do it because otherwise it's just like you're a (laughs) cross-dresser true true this is true Uh, let me ask you when you talk about the personality of Brigitte Bidet I've often wondered this there's sort of a literally cross-dressers I know, I've actually had on the show um, in our dose of gender, you know, you kind of have the, there's me, the, the guy, right? And my, my world is the gay male. And then there's sort of, here's me and this alter ego. And she behaves this way. She would never be seen doing this. She would be seen doing this. Do you find yourself, do you bifurcate or does Josh and Brigitte sort of do they meld together do they share a lot more in common uh it's honestly like just depends on who you ask because some people are like oh my god 
Brigitte is Josh. This is, it's still you, but like blown to like the highest level. But um, yeah, I still feel like two different people, I guess. Um, you like, I don't always have to be happy if I'm out of drag, but Brigitte has to be happy all that time, you know? And and that's also kind of fun for me because even if I'm having like a shitty day, I can still put on like happiness as drag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just like I put on the wig, like I can put on the idea that this character is not going through any of that. Um, so that's the biggest thing is like just the responsibility you have as a drag queen to like bring that. And that's what kills me about some of these bitches that like, have no personality or just don't, don't have no personality you're reading that group i know i don't <laughs> like this could be anybody i'm talking about but it's just that you there's so much more to it than like yes performing is like the fun part but like you also have to be performing off the stage with people and engaging and like you're lucky that these people even give a shit about you so why are you not like taking selfies with everyone and saying hi and you know so um it's interesting I think that that you know what I'm going to propose to you that I think that that is a lot like anyone who wants to be great at their craft Mm -hmm. what I mean by that right you have a physician or a tech who's putting on their scrubs and going into the hospital right or you have a business person who is putting on their proverbial like suit right um though they may be working from home in this current environment you kind of put on your garb for the day and you need to kind of be happy, get it together, mm -hmm. right? Kind of put away some of the, the stuff that you have. Um, and then there's the difference between the person who's just sort of there with no personality and the person who's there and is like there to win it, right? Yeah. Every, every engagement's like, you know, what are you doing? How, how can I help you today at work? Let's have a great day, right? And you're kind of performing, just not, mm -hmm. just, just not with a, a wig. <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting point though, that, I guess maybe it's just like any sense of professionalism. It's something that you pick up, but you just word it a different way based on whatever situation you're in. Yeah, I think the difference is that you you choose to be in a public eye. So people mm -hmm. are literally looking to see like, is she going to take a picture with me? Is she going out of her way? Like you have a, there's an expectation, an elevated expectation, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, and also because I can MC that that definitely sets me apart. Like, even before I started drag, when I was all up in the art scene, I was working for Living Walls, which is like this amazing organization started by my friend, Monica Campana. And it's like, um, you know, you've seen like the humongous murals throughout the city. A lot of those were commissioned by Living Walls. Oh, wow. Um, and she would host like international street art conferences, basically bring like 20 artists in and we'd get like 20 walls throughout the city and each artist would have like two handlers basically. And that with the lit, the scaffolding, I mean, some of them like that building next to underground Atlanta, actually where future is where the guys like praying with the straw that was yeah. from an artist from Spain who Monica commissioned to do. So I was meeting like these incredible artists that were like blowing my fucking mind. Um, 
And then one night they had like an artist talk and they needed somebody to host it because Monica like didn't want to be on the mic. And I was like, I can do it. And at the end, they're like, you were so good. You were so funny. And like, you should do that shit all the time. I was like, oh, I didn't even like realize that was even something I would want to do. Um, so then when I started doing my shows at Mary's with all my friends to start my drag career, basically, I would host and MC and. And then like, since I've just been doing it forever, that's like my main bread and butter is like I MC at Libs. Um, and then I used to have my own show every Sunday for like three or four years. Um, so yeah, I just had a lot of experience doing that. And Mon not Monica, Nicole Page Brooks said one time like, well, I forgot how she said it. Cause you know, she's like illiterate or whatever. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so just, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> she was, but basically the point she was making was that like, when you are on the mic, what you say is going directly into people's brains. Like you have such power, like there it's sickening. Like they're listening to everything whether you realize it or not. So that just um, really put things into perspective for me. I was like, that is so um, important to have like this voice on the mic and to be able to do that and like to bring so much happiness to people, like make them laugh, make them think about political shit, make them forget whatever they're going through. I don't know, I'll, even training them how to enjoy a drag show the right way so that the other entertainers on my show go out there and make more money and get more applause and it's just so many things. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. I've often been drawn to the drag queens that are the most, um, that have that skill in space, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, Edie was one of our, these are our only um, other drag queen that we've had on the, the podcast. And I think it's kind of funny that you said you asked her to be your mom because I think she said as well, she's like, I don't take children. Um, <laughs> obviously. I don't blame her <laughs> at all. It's annoying. Obviously. Some people need, right, the mothering and really benefit it because I feel I feel like there are other drag artists that have are quintessential mothers, right? That is their brand and, and they are very needed in the community. But I, I respect, I respect Evie's position. Um, but I feel like that MC role, you're kind of the, you're, you're really the, like you can't understand, right? All of the art form unless it's told to you. Kind of mm -hmm. right, you kind of led through, and it is fun, and it is can be serious, and it can be harsh, and it can be entertaining. Um, it mm -hmm. is a gift, and you now have taken that voice and you've put it onto a podcast. Um, totally, yeah. But tell me a little bit about um, what podcasting has meant for you. Um, yeah, that was because the pandemic. Um, we needed some way to like do something basically uh feel so, productive <laughs> yeah and I had been listening to a lot of podcasts um even before the pandemic I had started getting into it because you know you're working five six nights a week that's an hour and a half every night an hour sometimes 45 minutes of doing your makeup and um I can't really listen to music when I get ready because I'll start like performing every song and then I'm running late and then it's just, it's not good. So I started listening to podcasts a lot and loved it. And, and just, yeah, since I'm an MC, I was like, I could totally do this. I could fucking talk forever and not stop like to myself, basically. <laughs> well, don't you, I feel like that's every human that's alive. Like we all have an inner dialogue. I just think mm -hmm. 
some of our inner dialogues are more interesting to us than yeah. others. <laughs> well, and a lot of people can't articulate it. I mean, I see the, some of the most fabulous drag queens choke on a mic and I'm just like, girl, just fucking talk, like be present. And yeah, you know how to do this. Every human engages in so much conversation just in a day, hopefully. Um, that's where you can just pull it from and just literally just talk. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all have, I mean, we all have different gifts, right? So you are, mm -hmm. you're gifted with gap. Um, exactly. What have you, so you did it and you did it initially because of the pandemic. What have you, um, what have you learned that you didn't think you would learn from the experience of, of doing it? Um, I've, I've also learned a lot about how to be better just because I'm always thinking about how to be entertaining like as an entertainer and not like oh no no one's gonna like me if I'm not cracking a joke or doing a split but it's just like I just don't want to get bored and I don't think no one has an attention span so I've even learned how to like modulate my voice sometimes so I can make different points and <laughs> yeah, just make it fun for myself like think of it as another form of entertainment and how to like be concise with your thoughts and not um, belabor one idea. A lot of times it, it means not talking about myself ever because I just want to make it about them and learn about them. Um, but yeah, it's just, I love how it gives you access to so many different people. I mean, I've had conversations with Coco Peru, with Jackie B, with Sherry Vine, Ben De La Creme, Jinx Monsoon, like all these people that I'm like really looking up to as an artist and wanting to get on their level. And I would like, when would I be backstage with them and have these, and even if I was backstage, we wouldn't be having these conversations. Um, so that has just allowed me to connect with people in such a cool way. Yeah. Has it elevated your view for yourself, for your art, for what you want from yourself? Um. Yeah, definitely. It's made me realize what else is possible and how to hopefully achieve those things. It's also a labor of love because there's not really money in the podcasting world unless you're like one of those drag queens who are already famous. So then you get all the ad right. revenue. So yeah, just being like, wow, we're still doing it a year and a half later. Um, what else can I talk about? I just said I could talk forever, but you know what I mean? It's like once you, you're making episode after episode after episode, um, you got to like dig deeper and also not like overshare because I don't want just this to be cataloged about every dick I've ever sucked or every drug I've ever done. <laughs> I don't know if there's enough days in the week yeah that's, that's <laughs> enough content to last me forever but but you know what I mean it's um it's a really interesting format and medium and I think uh it's a great way to connect with people I'm constantly surprised at who's listening from like other countries or people will come to lips and been like I listen to your podcast all the time and I've been dying to see you perform in real life and I'm like they probably wouldn't have known about me if it weren't for this podcast, which is so random. Cause I think like I am performing at every bar every night. That's how people find out about me, but there's so many ways uh, to connect. Yeah. And you're right though. It's another, it is another level of intimacy 
that you're allowing people to come into your almost like a part of your brain, a part of your conscience that you don't share on a mic at Blake's, right? Yeah. You're not going to share some of the things that you might share on that mic um, mm-hmm. that you will on the Never. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's unpack my trauma tonight. Make some fucking noise. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you ever, have you ever been on a date or out with someone that knew way more about you because of your podcast? Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot. I mean, like, yeah. Um, it's fine. I, I put it out there so I can't act like, you know, shocked by it, but it's just funny how, um, part of my brand is being like everybody's girl. Like every, I, in a way people really do feel like they know me and they're my friend. And well, the thing is Brigitte's not real, which is so funny. That's a big reason why I like, don't take it too seriously but you know to some people this is like their friend and so they and they feel like they've been on the phone with me or something after listening to podcasts like that sometimes so I totally get it even the podcast that I listen to I feel like I know them in a way that I just don't <laughs> yeah no same same I feel uh Case Kenny is one of the guys that I like to listen to uh Glennon Doyle as well like there are certain people that you listen to and you're like Oh my God, I know her. Or I know him. And you don't, but you think yeah. you do. <laughs> you and millions of others. Literally. It's so funny. Absolutely. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about you are in your early thirties mm-hmm. um, in drag here in Atlanta. What do you feel like, um, what's evolving in the drag scene? What do you like that you're seeing? What do you, um, what do you not like in the scene that you're seeing? Mm. Yeah, I'm shifting into a whole different like phase in my career, which is amazing um, and terrifying. Um, like I just recently did a stage show called Menagerie, which was incredible. And I want to do more stuff like that. Like I want to be a theater queen, honestly. I want to be like, you know how like Jackie Beat does Golden Girls Live and she'll have like four weekends booked out and three shows you know, to matinee, whatever it takes. Like, I would love to get to that level. And that's what I really, really want. Like, I'm speaking it into existence. Yes, um, you are. You are, you are, you are. But I see, you know, I see this. the scene is shifting in the way that the city is shifting. Like, we're just in a huge transitional phase. And there are not as many spaces as there was when I first started but the scene is still very much thriving. I mean, I love Mary's so, so much. That's where I started. And they foster like a really amazing community of like all kinds of performers. Um, I see that as being a place for people. Otherwise, I don't know how like a lot of the up and comings do it because they're like when I started, it was all like, we're the East Atlanta girls and there's like a Midtown scene. And that was like this like kind of like PR rivalry that we just did for attention. Like no one really gave a shit, but. Right. Um, but, it, but it made people listen and look. It was hey. a moment. Yeah. And yeah. we certainly were like contributing some amazing. I mean, we're talking like me, Violet Chachki, Dax Exclamation Point, Crying Callie. I don't know if you remember her. Edie Cheeseburger, of course, um, but she wasn't like an East Atlanta girl. She is like vocally not. But anyways, like the 
um, Ellisaurus Rex. We were all doing some really like awesome shit. And it pushed the scene forward in a really exciting way that I will totally 100% take credit for because there is a competition right now at Mary's called Glitz. Um, when is Glitz? It, what is it or when is it? When, when is it? Oh, it's golf? Thursday nights okay. at Mary's. Yeah. And it's kind of like Jagnificent in that it's um, weekly challenges. People get eliminated and there's a winner. Um, but uh, you know, we're in cycle, you know, whatever number now, but it's like all of y'all's space was created by like me and a couple of friends, you know, and they don't even realize it. And not that I need like a plaque. Well, I will need that one day, but I don't need them to like suck my dick over it. But I just want them to know that like I kind of had a hand in laying down some of this groundwork and uh, creating spaces for people. And I want more people to be intentional about creating spaces for up and coming performers or, um, you know, that's why I loved having my show Toss Salad because I could mix every scene together, old and young, king, queen, everything in between, burlesque, live singing like jay tyler would perform his raps my friend monty rest in peace would perform music there so like i need to see more of that actually i need to see me doing that more because the scene needs it and i miss having yeah my own show basically yeah do you think that you'll do that again then soon or is it something you aspire to or maybe totally um it's also been nice just like not being in a position of power and not having like a bunch of thirsty ass bitches like in my inbox as just as i'm saying like we need to foster the new generation i'm like don't fucking dm me ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i will say an artist or a leader needs their breaks right and so uh -huh. the pandemic the pandemic kind of brought that to many people in different forms some asked for some not right mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are in places of transition and change, um, and you're just using this collective time probably to figure out what the next right thing is, right? What will that mm -hmm. next show be like? Well, um, when you say though that like the whole city it's in transition or change, do you feel like on, on the drag side and the performance side, I know that there are less venues. It feels like there's less venues mm -hmm. for performance. Do you, you see that trend continuing that we'll see less or maybe we've recorded we've leveled out? Um, it's really hard to say, but I would like to think that as the population grows and the city expands, that it will call for new spaces to appear. Like there's yeah. going to be more people in general and maybe more entrepreneurs or people can see opportunities like that um but yeah, it's just it's very interesting i don't know it's it's becoming more separated in terms of like straight gay um which is what i'm i miss a little bit about like when edgewood avenue was first being developed how like it was so raw and so raw and Joystick. now it's just like yeah i miss joystick you know you could just go in you're like you didn't know what was coming at you is it a bisexual is it a polyamorous exactly it a, you don't know they, i mean i'm talking like they hadn't even built the streetcar yet you know 
And so I just miss how it was so diverse. That's one of the reasons I wanted to move back here after college. And now I'm just seeing it transform into like kind of a Houston or an LA, which is also so diverse, but it's like, it's divided by class and all of the artists used to live over and I live in little five points and all of my artist friends lived around here. Samson street lofts. Like it was just so affordable and cool and Southern, but queer and like rock and roll. And now it's just like fucking Pont city market. And I'm like, as much (laughs) as I do love parts of that. And I love to see us like building and getting bigger it does break my heart a little bit. I'm like, where is this all going? That's what kind of worries me. Yeah, it's interesting because I would say that I feel like the one thing I've learned is that that feeling never goes away. Meaning I'll have like this experience in my 20s or this experience in my young 30s and it's like great and there's this moment and the vibe and then it changes and shifts and you're like, wait, what happened to that? And you miss that part, but then you you're almost like unaware that you're now in another one, right? And are you mm-hmm. making that one? Because this one, meaning right now in this time, I think we've moved, we've shifted a lot more to um, your online ways of connecting and, and keeping that community. And are you are you seeking out that person directly? Like you can Zoom to almost anyone right now. Mm-hmm. You've probably learned that in podcasting. If you want to connect to someone, if you think they're cool, if you want to learn something new, you can connect to almost anyone if you are persistent in, in this culture, right? Um, if I wanna learn about a new healthcare tech company, I can literally talk to their CEO on a Zoom and he's sitting in San Francisco or she's sitting in LA, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want it, um, it's just changed the rules of the game because we've all gotten online and we've all kind of, it's no longer the person that's your neighbor necessarily, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's different. And I don't know how long it'll last like that way. Um, but it also gives us a lot of access possibly. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing because accessibility, um, is a huge issue for so many people that could either rise to bigger occasions for themselves through opportunities or even like accessibility in terms of differently abled people being able to enjoy a drag show from their own home. So for that, I am, so grateful but um the contrary is like because of like the internet and people can like be a drag queen from their bedroom I'm like there's a lot of fucking posers out there too <laughs> yeah no I agree and the, and there's a lot of the art that is done in person and you just can't compare a live art a live drag show if there's yeah. something about the energy in the room and the the, the feelings you get from the performers that is yeah. pretty And I, I want to be like a jaded cunt, but I do understand the importance of everything. I just, um, back in the day, nightlife, there were, I isn't gatekeeper like a controversial term now? You can't say gatekeeper, girl boss, or there's another one. I don't know that <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so any, but this, that's the term I'm going to use, gatekeepers. There used to be like, gatekeepers of nightlife like just people who were in the scene making it happen um djs promoters performers all that 
now with social media, some bitch uh, can buy a hundred thousand followers and you're on the same bill as her and she can't relate to anyone in real life. And it's just like, no, but you know what? We see that in real life. So the reality yeah. is, you know, um, you, you can see through that. Speaking of, I, um, I, I saw you recently in New York, mm-hmm. um, serving up some Atlanta, uh, drag queen to that city mm-hmm. uh, what's it like is performing in other cities is it like an extra special load of happy or like is it because mm-hmm. they don't know you necessarily right well first of all I appreciate that you said load that's really um optimistic of you I did not get laid on my trip unfortunately <laughs> okay, most the best trips you don't necessarily have sex you're like, yeah. focused on what you're doing right and no, having a I great know. time doing well it. I was actually in LA for a day and then we flew to New York so I did both in one weekend like a psychopath oh my god I did not get that oh my gosh that is a psychopath. that's great though yeah. so what you, well, so you did because one of my really good friends is Bitch Puddin, um, who also, you know, came up in the scene before winning Dragula a couple of years ago. Um, and it's her 30th birthday. She has a monthly show in L.A. She's been talking forever about booking me and we planned for it. And then she got booked at Bushwig, which is this huge drag festival in Brooklyn. And she's like. I can probably get you a spot in the Sunday night lineup. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, fuck yes. So I flew to LA, had a day there, did her show. We didn't go to bed. We just got a ride to the airport at like five in the morning and then got on a six hour flight to fucking New York. Um, And then, yeah, had like three or four days in New York. And one of those was performing at Bushwick. And it was just like, so amazing. And Yeah, performing in other cities, it was incredible because like I am very polished now and I feel super confident I could go anywhere and uh, serve it up. I mean, I was tucked extra tight and yes, you were and I didn't (laughs) um, (laughs) I didn't overthink it. I was like, you do this for a living. Do not try and go in there being somebody you're not like do your favorite songs to perform and like let them have it. And so, yeah. And enjoy it. Yeah, I got to meet so many people and expand the brand, honey. Um, Every time I do something like that, I'm like, I want this to be my life. So hopefully I spoke that into existence. I remember like the first time I had like a gig, like two gigs a weekend. I was like, God, I want this to be my life, like just gigs. And now I'm like, I have 16 gigs tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's when it's like, no. Watch out what you wish for, right? I know, but I'm immensely grateful for being able to do this as a career. Like I didn't see that coming when I started. Like I get, I could have certainly wished for it, but it's just like this super long journey that if I look back at the first step, I'm like, I have come so far. I'm glad I kept going. And now it's like, keep going even more um, just by not giving up. That's like, talk about drag is political, like not giving up is such an act of resistance. I don't know. Not, yeah. I yeah. don't know how to put it, but it's like, I didn't ever just say like, okay, hang it up. What I just kept saying yes to things. And now I'm like, now I'm getting to a point where I can really start to shape how I want this to go. Like theater shows and traveling and that never would have been even 
in the horizon when I first started, like in that corner over there performing for like Violet Chachki in a, right, a in baby Violet, who's so like one of the most famous drag queens in the world now. And and having her as a friend and a mentor and seeing like how far it can go just makes me want to keep trying. I mean, who knows if I'll ever get fucking cast on Drag Race, but... <laughs> We'll is, that a, is that a hope? Is that something you I mean, like it's to do? just something that, you know, you got to throw your hat in the ring if you want to play. So I've definitely been auditioning like all the time, but haven't gotten cast. So I'm doing something wrong. But, you know, everyone else sees it for me. They're like, why the fuck haven't you been on that show? But I'm like, I don't know, because I'm like happy and successful. I don't know. I have plenty of trauma that I could talk about with them, but. you know what i wouldn't read too much into it a lot of that is is you know it's just the right time right place and when it's right 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 place it will be i remember seeing violet before she was on the show growing up um she would perform in jungle and um you know i i think it was the right time and right place earlier for her it would have been terrible because she didn't Mm -hmm. have some of the skills you know that she needed yeah Um, and this industry it's so like they want certain people for certain, I don't know, one day it's you and the next day it's the person next to you and then the next day it's you again. Yeah. Like you just never know and you can't take it personally. You're like basically an object at that point. Yeah, I mean, you are, you're a demographic, you're a, you're a, a niche, you're a character, right? Are you the mm-hmm. comedian? Are you the, are you, um, you know, someone people are going to relate to? It's a show. They have to cast Exactly, the right but people, right? I want their fucking booking fee, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, you're getting paid what? Yeah. Some of them charge like 5k for a booking. Yeah. So I, 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 I hope you get that kind of booking fee too. Thank um, you. yeah, for sure. Hey dolls. Many of you know, pets can be vital companions and contribute to our health and well-being. When we asked Edie Cheeseburger, she named Pals Atlanta her preferred not-for-profit, a group dedicated to providing care and support for pets of Atlanta persons living with HIV, AIDS, other terminal illnesses, and the elderly. They've helped thousands of people to keep their animals, thereby living healthier, happier lives. Yet support during COVID has been hard. Give or volunteer your time by visiting PalsAtlanta.org or on social media at Pals Atlanta. Thanks, dolls. Um, so tell tell our listeners what they can, where can they, first of all, where can they go right now? If they want to see you perform, what are the top venues that they could depend on to kind of like get to see you? Um, and yeah, give them an idea of, of where and when. Yeah, I, um, I am at Lips every Thursday. I'm seeing there. I work at 10 on Fridays. I do a late night party with Kiramora called Shameless on Sundays at Future, which is rowdy. Um, I'm hosting Dragnificent now, but that might be over if someone listens to this in six months. Um, but I post about everything on my Instagram at Brigitte Bidet. If you can spell it, then you're allowed to follow me. Oh, wow. That's a challenge. <laughs> it's G-I-T-T-E, by the way. Yes. Oh, and- I love that. Yes. And then the bidet, of course, B-I-D-E-T for those of you that aren't. Mm-hmm. If you don't have one, I'm sorry. Do you have one? I like, and I was like, yeah. And they're like, do you want a bidet? I was like, yeah. They're like, 
okay, I'm sending you the full, all the bells and whistles. It has like a heated seat, yes. an LED light, user one, user two, like just out here looking for my user two. Uh, <laughs> but it's right. like this Japanese fucking mega bidet. It's, um, it's incredible. I was going to say the first time I ever really saw a bidet, it was Japanese and it was the gay man who happened to be Chinese who bought it. And I was like, what is this? It's like the Japanese have bidets down. Like, yeah, I mean, but with my like big ass like bidet seat and my little squatty potty, it looks like a nursing home (laughs) bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) All I need is like a bar in the shower and a a bench. Yeah. And you you wonder why you can't find user two. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. If you don't have a squatty potty too, you're also missing out. Unless your toilet's like a perfect height. But yeah, no, no, no. I yeah. and I'm just teasing. So yeah. what what can our dolls expect from you in the coming future? What what do you what are your aspirations for Brigitte? What would you yeah. like? Kind of talked about the whole the theater, right? Mm-hmm. I get that for you, and I totally wish that for you. I think that'd be awesome. Thank Maybe you. The, anything you're working on in the next year or two, or still kind of figuring out? Where... Yeah, I mean, we're actually just looking more into like more stage shows, potential tours, touring shows that I'm doing now with people. Um, maybe write myself a 10 minute for some stand up, like all kinds of things. I just want to, I want to keep creating. I want to keep being inspired by everything. And I've gotten more into making my own costumes too. So that's something to look forward to. And it gets me off the screen, which is like so valuable in 2021. Um, But yeah, it's just like, I am weird about making too many plans because I don't like disappointment. And, you know, they say like, if you want to, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) tell your plans oh yeah so so yeah and it's just this idea that like don't hold on too tightly to any kind of expectation like definitely set goals for yourself but um yeah say yes to things and remain open I wish I was the kind of person that could have the next two years planned out and when I was um I was a professional dancer for nine years in this dance company which was incredible and I loved that because it's like my schedule was decided for me forever and I would know what I was doing. But being a freelance independent artist, I'm like, no, I don't even know how to do that. I need like some little gay assistant. Some little gay assistant. I got to say something. So I feel like um, I have been recently reading a book that talks a little bit about this concept. So um, it's called Atomic Habits. So I'm not like dragging like you know like you're not these aren't my ideas solely mm-hmm. but I do think that in life sometimes we have this like here's my goal right but the reality is, is that all the things that you do to re- to get that goal that's really where the work is right mm-hmm. the, like the daily grind of getting up and making the phone calls or getting up and going to the office or getting up and performing making the costumes like whatever um, but so much of our really achievements are about how we think about ourselves, like what identity we take on, right? Mm-hmm. As we're doing that. And I was just thinking about your your desire to kind of do that theatrical angle. Like, I think if you wake up every morning, you're like, this is who Brigitte is and increasingly will become, mm-hmm. right? Those other things, they come to you, right? And you're doing the things that are in line with the identity you choose. Mm. 
So there's a lot of truth to this, like the manifesting concept at first, you're like, you know, I'll be famous. And it's like, yeah, guy, whatever, like Mm -hmm. that's way out there. But if you really have a grounded sort of like, this is my, this is who I am becoming, we kind of do become, I mean, life is long long enough. You're, I remember at 33, I literally was married with three kids in a straight relationship, not comfortable out at all, totally evangelical Christian, like Oh my God, honey, that's an episode right there. But like right 12 years later, right now, and you're like, I'm a completely different human because Mm -hmm. I have repeatedly made decisions about who I am. So it's you or any of our dolls, I am convinced we can continue to become more of what we want to be if we Mm -hmm. consistently make right all the choices in line with the identity that we choose. And when we choose a lesser version of ourselves, we become that too. And I don't mean success like other people's accolades. I mean, the one where you know inside, Mm -hmm. right? Where you know inside that you've done a spectacular job on you. Mm -hmm. That shit's hard. (laughs) It is. It's so hard. And I mean, I am a complete failure in some parts of my life where I'm still working hard, right? On becoming Mm -hmm. that better version of myself. But I do feel like... um, you know, drags is interesting element in which you take on these obvious, right? This obvious other personality, but we can truly shape and craft ourselves into a new version of ourselves mm-hmm. if we do the hard work. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah. I love that shit. It's a great I mindset. I do too. It's just, you know, I don't have it every day, right? We mm-hmm. can't, that's the hard part. Some days it's just shitty and gray and raining and you're mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be that person today. I'm just going to, I know, but you have to have it all. Yeah. Well, cycles and like you, there's night and there's day, you know, it's just never the same thing. And even like when you're in a shitty situation in life, you will know that like this too shall pass. Like, hopefully, I don't know. Oh, it will. No, it will. Because without rain, there's not sunshine, right? You know that when there's rain, that's what gets you through is you're like, hey, there will be a day that's better um, and make me realize how worthwhile this this trough was right mm-hmm. i'm curious about your view and vision for what you think drag means to the rest of our community you guys are more visible mm-hmm. you guys get a lot more um attention you have a lot more eyeballs looking at you mm-hmm. um how do you feel about the role of drag for the greater community and specifically what do you want your drag to mean to the community I love how mainstream it's gotten in the sense that like it's not so much a deal breaker when you're dating someone or things like that. Um, that is true. I forget that. I I have had a couple drag queens and I was like, I would totally date them. But it's yeah. It's- yeah. I mean, it's just a reality. But now it's just understood in such a different way that you realize, oh, they don't want to be a woman necessarily. They just but it's still such a great area. But I would love to see um, just drag remain like a consistent fixture on any given night. You can see shows and there's just because whether you like it or not, it creates a space for queer people. And that is so freaking important. And and it's also subversive in the way that it goes into straight bars and breweries and brunches and all that kind of shit. So it is. I, I want to see that continue. 
for sure and i want i don't know i want to be like um you know full on when you think of atlanta you think of me i want to be like charlie brown i want like a street named after me i would love my own like cabaret nightclub one day too that would be amazing so yeah i just want to see myself continue on this path a lot of people move they get a little bit successful and they moved to new york or la which is great and i've seen them like totally run laps around me in their careers and shit but slow and steady does win the race and um and i love that i've never kind of given up on atlanta and that i can be 90 years old and someone sends me a drink and i'm like we used to strip together at the da 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 you know i just yeah. i want that legacy status for sure yeah, well, you've doubled down on Atlanta. Atlanta's doubled down on you. I know so many people that love you and your work and appreciate you. Thank so, you. Um, and that's why we're so happy to have you on this week, and particularly because we'll be we'll be airing you in our in our Pride lineup. Yay. So, yay. It's not canceled. Not for yeah. us. <laughs> not for us, honey. Not for us. Mm. I um. Let me ask you our our final question on the dose. Um, we think a lot about kind of how the gay at large community, right? Our whole rainbow community. Um, this is an unprecedented time in terms of how out we are, how, how many rights we have. Um, it's not all guaranteed, right? We saw, for example, with the fun abortion laws in Texas that nothing's really completely done, right? You can always kind of go back and try to, try to claw back at things like could be gay marriage, could be workplace equality, whatever it is. But we are in an unprecedented time. And if you think about it, if we continue in the next 30 years, it'll be even more unprecedented to have that much, um, that much time out of the closet as a community. Mm -hmm. What do you wish for our community in the next 10, 15 years? What would you like to see more of or less of? Um, I just want to see more of a mixture between the intersection of being gay and being an activist of some sort. You don't need to be chaining yourself to the Capitol, but there is a lot of responsibility on gay people to maintain their place and the visibility that they've achieved. So I just need more people to like vote and <laughs> um, put more gay people in office, more gay city councils. I want to see a more centralized gay neighborhood, which I guess is a little impossible, but like Midtown is being like straight washed with all this shit. And I'm just like, I don't want to see our community um, just kind of like disperse um, too much. I think we need to maintain that solidarity and like really build each other up, like more gay owned businesses, more gay voices publications media like all of it i'm just like more more all of it i want to yeah. see more <laughs> i want to see us continue to grow because i don't want us to be so obsessed with the idea of mainstreaming it to where we like um dilute our experiences because it's not the same and it doesn't need to be the same we're not like sucking dick in front of a kindergarten but like we we've proven that we're not like um that being gay isn't like a mental illness you know so i feel like 
we can now um oh, second second dig at the kindergarten is <laughs> yes for sure but do you get what i'm saying it's like i, I just want to see us um i don't want the infighting of like gen z and pronouns and shit. like i respect the shit out of it but it's like no no infighting we can mediate you know we're gonna have conflicts that is life but let's not tear each other down so it's so it's so funny you gave me in this whole conversation almost this visual and and work with me for a second right because it's a little out there but go with it so it's funny because you think of like really strong like religious organizations right um, there's a there's like let's call it a few let's call it 15 percent of the people are in this certain religion and then they're trying to infiltrate the rest right in a kind of weird way gay peoples right we're in this percentage right and we're not trying to infiltrate the rest but we are trying to influence the rest right there's so much that a gay life can do let's put sex totally on the side the dedication that a gay person can have to politic to the arts to engineering to whatever we put our minds at a lot of us don't have children a lot of us are able to focus right that that early self-awareness into something and i'm I'm loving this little dog in the background so i'm so sorry he's like getting fidgety so i'm like oh god don't know he's he's so cute um what's his name teddy teddy Mm -hmm. hi teddy Teddy. (laughs) but yes okay i hear what you're saying right but then at the same time so it's like, we want to make sure that we're all unified. So it's this hard balance of like, we want super queer, strong gay areas. And then we want mm-hmm. the ability to not infiltrate, but you know, that I, I live in Midtown. I'm seeing the straight, um, the, the, the entrance of a lot more straight influence. And then I look at it as a, is it straight influence coming in or is it my opportunity to influence straight, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. stick, stick out and continue to wear my hot pink shorts. <laughs> and- Period, crop tops, all of it. Like, yeah, it's definitely possible to coexist. Yeah, and to, and by doing so, I think we are doing a part of sort of influencing the rest of the community, meaning the broader community. Mm-hmm. Um, that representation when you're all alone, right? What, what will people, what, how will you be? Will you still be as queer as you can be? Or are you going to try to identify straight and, yeah. and kind of whitewash yourself? Yeah, right? you dumb it down. Of, right, because you see people, I don't know if you've noticed this, like I, I went to um, a gay pride uh, baseball game, right? I think, um, and there were not a lot of gays wearing rainbow stuff. In fact, a lot of the gay males came in looking like straight males. Mm-hmm. You couldn't tell they were gay. I mean, they were very pretty, but mm-hmm. besides that, you know, and maybe yeah. like a little like, hey girl, but really, right? right? The identification wasn't there and the representation. Yeah. The pride. Yeah. And and sometimes you can't, we'll get to a place where you can't see it unless you are wearing it in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Yeah. So something to think about. I love it. I love the idea that we don't want to, we don't want to get wa- washed out, you know, yeah. and lose our culture. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that wish for us. Yes. Thank you. I've never even like asked myself that question. So yeah. I well, that. I, I, um, I do too. I, um, I love, I love asking ourselves to think a little bit deeper. And it's like you said, it's like getting away from a bar and getting away from, you know, a drag show. You can talk mm-hmm. a little bit more like you are with your guests on your show. So exactly. 
Thank you so much, Brigitte. I I love you and I appreciate you very much. Um, Thank and I, you. And I wish you a lot of luck in what you're pursuing. And I and I I hope that you do get those things that you want for your career and for your your art yes well I'm gonna manifest it like you said <laughs> yeah but thank you so much for bringing me on and letting me share my story and talk on another fellow podcast yes absolutely so we'll be promoting you our week of pride and I um I thank you and I remind you dolls once you've learned to love yourself we need you to learn to love everyone else take care yes bye